My name is Rose and I'm a grateful recovering addict. I really hope that it's not just only doctors or nurses or there's practitioners listen to my story. I hope that there's people that aren't necessarily in the medical field that kind of hear my story too and want to actually seek help. Hi, I'm Alicia Michalisek Kurtz and welcome back to Real Talk, a place where we normally share stories from healthcare workers about their more human experiences working in medicine. But today, we'll hear the fourth and final story in our series with the California Bridge Program. And this one is pretty special to us. This story comes from Rose, a patient with a history of opioid addiction who was started on Suboxone, or a type of buprenorphine, about six months ago in the ER at one of the California Bridge Program participating hospitals. In the first three episodes of this series with the Bridge Program, we talked a lot about how much stigma and discrimination there is surrounding drug use. So you can imagine the guts it would take to come on a podcast like ours and open up about your own substance use, to bare your heart and your soul and be brutally honest about things that you're not super proud of to a bunch of strangers. Especially when you know firsthand the depths of that stigma and judgment because you've been on the receiving end of it for years. And often from us, from healthcare workers, from the staff at the clinic or an ER or your primary doctor, from nurses, from techs, from all of us. In telling her story, Rose is taking a huge leap of faith that we will truly listen to the message she shares and that will honor her privacy since that stigma and judgment is still very, very real. So we have changed all of the names and some of the other details in this story to protect Rose's privacy. But the rest of it, the raw, unfiltered reality of her struggle with drug use, and the role that we in healthcare played in haphazardly perpetuating Rose's addiction for years before we ever created a solution to help her, that part is untouched. This is Rose's story. It's hard to say exactly what it was that started my journey with addiction. It was probably a combination of a lot of things. Growing up, I struggled a lot in school. I had ADHD but it wasn't officially diagnosed. My mom's a lesbian, so I had two moms at home, and I went a few years without seeing my dad. I was overweight, poor, I smelled, and I just never really fit in with any of the other kids. I didn't really have any friends, so I was bullied. Kids can be really mean and judgmental sometimes. In high school, I started experimenting with weed, just to feel like I fit in with the cool kids. I smoked occasionally with people who I thought were my friends, but really, they weren't. Then I started dating a guy for a couple of years. He peer pressured me into trying all kinds of drugs and things. Always told me that I'm too uptight and never have fun. At first, it was just experimenting. It was fun, but kind of scary sometimes too. Like one time, he peer pressured me into drinking a whole bottle of cough syrup or one time, he made me take these two orange pills that I had no clue what they were. Both times, I got really sick, and I literally felt like I was going to die. A few months later, I broke up with him. I was not one of those people that took it the first time and was hooked. I never really 
believe people could become addicted to drugs. Like, I just didn't understand how. After that summer, I graduated high school. I decided I wanted to go to cosmetology school. During that time, my uncle passed away from HIV AIDS. I had a really hard time with it. I turned to my ex for comfort, and quickly we were right back where we were, always in a relationship, experimenting with harder and harder drugs. Around that time, he peer pressured me into trying heroin, which I really liked, and then meth. When I was in school, we got to the hardest chapter about anatomy. It was common for people to fail that section and have to retake it because of how difficult it was. But the night before the test, I smoked some meth, and yes, I felt a little high, but mostly I felt like I was able to focus and study. I ended up getting a B on that test, and I didn't have to retake it like other people had to. I only smoked both of those drugs a few times, maybe for like a month or two, but not like at the same time. But I still didn't feel like I needed drugs in my life. Then one day, I got this random spam email from this site called My Yearbook, telling me I had some number of crushes or something. I was a gullible 18-year-old, so of course I went to go look at it. And while most of these people on there were a lot of fake guys asking me for money or whatever, there was this one message that intrigued me from what seemed to be a normal guy. I decided to open up the message for some reason, I guess because it felt right. In the message, he asked me, are you real or are you fake like all these other bitches on this website? <laughs> and I said, of course I'm real. You could even look at my Facebook. We started talking more and more. He asked me for my phone number and I actually gave it to him. The man of my dreams and I started talking more and more. I finally decided that I was completely fed up with my ex. So one day I sent a text to the guy I met off the internet and we went out for coffee. We hit it off, and after a few hours of talking, he invited me to dinner. Things felt so natural and meant to be, and that's how I met my husband, Michael. I guess sometimes being gullible is a good thing. And just like that, I wasn't doing drugs. I was in this new relationship, and I felt so happy. It was the complete opposite from my last relationship. In the first year, I found out Mike's dad got prescriptions for Norcos and Percocets every month. His dad used to give Mike the Percocets to sell, and Mike sold it to an exotic dancer. It was extra playing money for us. One day, after Mike's dad gave him the Percocets, I asked if I could have one. Not sure exactly why. I guess I just wanted to see how it felt if I took one. I really liked the way it made me feel, just like the heroin. I started asking more and more regularly for a few pills here and there, but not every single day. But eventually, Mike's dad got caught off of the Percocets. I was kind of bummed, but I didn't really feel like I was missing anything, and I didn't have to have them. Maybe a year or so after that, while I was at work, a coworker asked if I knew anyone that wanted to buy some Norcos. So I started buying a few here and there from my coworker who was selling his sister's prescription. I started buying more and more, and at some point, I became physically dependent. And when that source got cut off, I started taking any kind of pain pill I could get my hands on. I needed the pills just to feel normal. When I didn't have any pills, I was in so much pain, 
it wasn't just vomiting or diarrhea. I hurt everywhere and I felt like shit. It wasn't even about getting high anymore. If I took the pills, I was so happy. I was focused, more awake, funnier, easier to get along with. I felt like I was the best version of myself and I was okay with that. Without the pills though, I didn't feel like myself. I hear people say, do whatever makes you happy. Well, I thought pills made me happy. So I went through other friends for a while and then I would just go straight to the dealer myself. I'd pay anything as long as I could just get some pills. The risky behaviors of my addiction started at that point. I made a lot of poor choices. I would spend at least 75% of my paycheck every pay period. I was sneaking out of the house in the middle of the night, go to the worst areas in town, just to go get enough pills to make it through the next few days, driving at least an hour round trip to pick them up in the dead of night. There were even times I knew I bought fake pills, but I still took them anyways because I didn't care and all I wanted to do was get high. I remember sitting in the car waiting for the dealer to show up, feeling sick and in pain, desperate for him to show up with some pills, even if it was just a few, just so I could make the withdrawal stop and go to sleep that night. Sometimes I would be there waiting hours, but he would never show up, and I would leave empty-handed with no idea what to do for the next day. I still went through that guy for a few years until he deleted his number one day. And of course, there was this vicious cycle where my husband would catch me, ask me to stop, I'd apologize, and promise to quit, but I kept doing it for years. I was lying all the time, and I hated myself. I had so much guilt but I was so selfish, so I didn't care about anyone besides myself. That's what addiction does to you. I was kicked out of our house more than once for breaking my promise. Even though Mike would let me come back, I knew I lost all of his trust. For the longest time, Mike thought I was telling the truth when he would ask me if I was on something or when he would ask me, how many pills did you take today? I always convinced him that I wasn't on anything. Or at least that's what I thought. Mike always wanted a baby, a kid he can call his own. Money was always tight, but then I got a better job. We started trying, and then I became pregnant. I got my life together the best of my ability to give birth to our beautiful son. I was always in pain, but the minute he was born, all that pain and suffering went away. When I first saw him, I instantly fell in love. I loved him more than anything in the world. But I was terrified of giving birth, not because of it hurting or the typical reasons why a lot of mothers are scared. I was terrified of the aftermath of having our son. I had to have a C-section, and when they discharged me, the worst thing happened, my worst fear. The doctor wrote me a prescription for 40 Norcos, my main drug of choice. I honestly started taking them as prescribed, one every four to six hours for the pain. But then, two weeks later, I had a follow-up appointment to look at my stitches and stuff, and she gave me another 40 Norco. I didn't even ask for them, but I felt like I hit the jackpot. And then something in my brain flipped a switch. My baby saved my life in a way, but he didn't stop my addiction. Once I was back on the Norcos, the entire cycle started all over again in full force. My husband was working constantly, never had a day off, working 12 to 16-hour days. 
he was saving up money to buy our new family a house for our son to grow up in. But my addiction controlled my life. Me being the selfish person I was, stole money from my husband's savings he had hidden in our room just so I could get high. I stole hundreds and hundreds of dollars from him. I hated the person I was. I was very depressed, super anxious, hopeless, secretly suicidal. No one even knew I was an addict because I hid it so well. I was so scared to seek help. I was worried if I asked for help, someone would take my son away. If they took my baby away from me, I would have literally killed myself. I was in such a dark place. I wanted help, but I didn't know where to start. Of course I wanted to stop, but I physically couldn't. The withdrawals were horrible. So when Mike caught me stealing his money, he kicked me out again and told me to go to my mom's house and tell her what I did, admit to her what I've done and who I really am. I went to my mom's house for the first time, admitted to her about my addiction and what I did to my husband. And while that was hard, it surprisingly worked out. I knew my mom had struggled with addiction in the past, but I know she stopped when she met my stepmom. But at some point, she became addicted to pain pills too throughout the years. In that moment, I felt emotional, but mostly so numb. I always felt numb, and I wanted to feel numb because of all the shit I've done. I wanted to cry. I tried to cry, but I couldn't. I was broken. I was able to work things out with my husband again, but this time he gave me an ultimatum. That was it. If I ever took pills again, he would send me to my dad's, divorce me, take full custody of our son. He loved me so much, even though he was so hurt by all the lies and broken promises. For another time, he gave me another chance and took me back. To be honest, this wasn't the last time. I decided to have some cosmetic surgery done last year, which of course gave me access to more pills, and it didn't really help my situation. I got a few prescriptions for the pain and continued using off and on, but I could never fully kick the habit. I could talk for hours and hours about my story, what I've gone through, what horrible things I've done, but it involves three main things. One is... I got an even better job. My boss is also a recovering addict. I can't even tell you how awesome and supportive he has been. He has always asked me how I am, if I'm okay, if I need someone to talk to, and he's here for me. I don't feel ashamed. I feel very supported, and I don't feel like I'm carrying this huge secret around with me. The second thing is, I got formally diagnosed with ADHD. It was put on Adderall. And no, I didn't feel high off of it or abuse it. But during one of my follow-up appointments, they did a surprise drug test that showed I was using opiates. At that point, I had lied about using pain pills because I was worried that they would take my Adderall away. And I felt like Adderall really helps me focus at work. And I felt like I actually need it. For weeks, I avoided all the phone calls about my drug test results. I just knew. I decided I needed to face my fear and give up and surrender after the long 10-year battle. I was so scared and nervous. I remember the doctor came into the room to review my results and asked me, do you know why you're here? 
And I told him, because I'm a drug addict. I started crying for the first time in a long time, like real tears. But the doctor changed the tone of the conversation. He said, if you had just told me, it could have helped you sooner. I'm not going to disown you. I want to help you. But you just have to be honest with me. He offered rehab, but I couldn't go to an inpatient or outpatient rehab because I worked full time and Mike didn't know I was using again. Which brings me to the third thing. I heard about Matt on the radio. So during the conversation with my doctor, I asked him about it. I heard of methadone and suboxone as treatments, but he told me he's not certified to prescribe those kinds of medications. He still helped me though. He then put a referral in for me and someone contacted me and told me I could walk into this ER and ask them about getting on suboxone. I was told that I had to be in active withdrawals for a couple days before going. To be honest, it took me a while to go, but eventually I told myself I'm ready. On January 5th, 2020, I went to that ER. I was terrified. I remember thinking, they're not going to help me. They're just going to treat me differently or like shit because I'm an addict. When I got there, though, the initial triage nurse didn't even seem to know what I was talking about. So I was thinking, great, this is a joke. And I thought about leaving. But after I was all checked in, I was seen relatively quickly. Weirdly, it felt like it would have been the complete opposite. I met John, who was the nurse practitioner who helped me. He was understanding and kind. He told me that they can help me and order Suboxone to take right there in the ER. And this other nurse, Kat, told me I was brave for coming in doing this that they are proud of me and that I should be proud too. I had such a big fear of being treated like a junkie that I'm a nobody. I've always felt like that my entire life and that they were going to turn me away, but they made me feel welcomed and like I was in good hands. I took the first dose of the Suboxone, waited an hour, and I started to feel better. My withdrawals were lessening by the minute. I felt like I wasn't 100% there yet, so they gave me a second dose, and I felt way better. I started to feel normal again, like a real person. Then they sent me home with a prescription. The next day, I got to work with Jill on the phone. She's the substance use navigator, who's amazing. She helped me find an online clinic that I could follow up with on my phone through video weekly and all the other amazing services they offer, and I still use that program today. It wasn't perfect. There was an issue with my insurance, which Mike found out about, and I had to go back to the ER for another dose of Suboxone and to get a new prescription for the different form of Suboxone. But when I walked in the second day, I was met with welcome and support again. I got to meet Jill in person, and Kat was there and told me she's so glad I came back, like in a good way, though, and it seemed like she really meant it. Now, I've been on Suboxone for about six and a half months or so, and I'm doing better than I have in years. I don't think I've ever felt this happy about life, like I'm proud of myself. I struggle some days, but I haven't had any cravings. My son saved my life. He gave me a reason to want to quit, not only for him, but for myself. I have something to live for. And of course, I love my husband so much.
He has never given up on me and has supported me through my journey this year. Being caught with the surprise drug test has really pushed me to quit. Since starting Suboxone that I got through the ER, I finally have something along with therapy treating my dependence for opiates. Addiction like mine is not something that just goes away on its own, no matter how much you want it to. Being able to have a medication has helped me with the horrible withdrawals and the cravings and has helped me so much that it has literally changed my life. I've dealt with some stigma here and there. A few people think I'm not actually clean or sober because I'm still on a medication that's still labeled as an opioid. But it works much differently than what a typical opiate does. I'm doing my best one day at a time. I've made the best decision. I chose my life and family over drugs. When we recorded Rose's story, I'm not going to lie, it was tough to listen to the clear and undeniable role the medical community played as a sort of villain in her struggle with drug use. From our prescribing patterns, creating multiple opportunities for Rose's recreational drug use to turn into dependence and addiction, to the way we kept giving her prescriptions for Norco after minor surgery or at her postnatal visit, out of habit, seemingly without thinking for a moment about whether that was even the most appropriate choice. And even the way our interpersonal interactions with her over the years made her afraid to come forward, afraid to trust us in her search for help. There were so many moments that I felt my stomach in knots with shame, embarrassed that this is the best we could offer her for years. And that best was absolutely not good enough. What about Rose's story stands out to you? For me, it was hearing her say, I wanted help, but I was afraid and I didn't know where to go. To picture her sitting in her car in the middle of the night, in florid withdrawal, desperately waiting for her dealer to show up so she could make the pain stop because she didn't have any other options. That image is striking to me because we should have been her first go-to option. We should have been there for her, in our ERs and in our urgent cares, equipped and ready to treat opioid withdrawal in an evidence-based, compassionate way whenever our patients feel ready or need us. While this is the end of our series with the California Bridge Program, it's not even close to the end of this convo for all of us in the healthcare field. We cannot be done with this conversation until every single healthcare worker owns the significant role we played in creating the opioid epidemic in this country, as well as the role we continue to play in perpetuating that dependence and addiction for patients just like Rose. And in owning our part of the problem, we must then, more importantly, look to lead in the solution with our words, with our attitudes, with our prescribing patterns, in our conversations with patients, with our comfort and knowledge initiating and continuing medication for addiction treatment, or MAT. There are at least 3 million people in this country today struggling with opioid use disorder. And every one of them has a family and a background and a story probably a lot like Rose. And we have to create a healthcare system that is welcoming and supportive of these patients. A healthcare system they can trust that's there for them, that doesn't let them down, 
when they're most alone, when their suffering is maxed on their darkest night. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our patient Rose for exhibiting incredible bravery and sharing her story with us. To the team at California Bridge for working so hard to give patients struggling with substance use issues, including Rose, 24-7 access to high-quality, compassionate healthcare, and for telling their story through Real Talk. To Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and of course, to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. California Bridge is a program of the Public Health Institute with funding through the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to the California Department of Healthcare Services. For more information, head to bridge2treatment.org.